Good morning, everybody. My name is Kevin Bates, and I'm the lead pastor for Resonate Christian Church. And this morning, we are celebrating Pentecost, which you can see artistically is behind me, where the Holy Spirit came down on his people and indwelled, and this is the celebration of that in the church calendar year, usually depicted with fire, and so the, you'll see the tag art behind me. Uh, that is fire, and so we are celebrating the Spirit with us, God with us, in the Spirit um, of the Trinity, and so we celebrate that today. I want to welcome each one of you wherever you are today. Maybe you are um, at home watching this on your TV. Maybe a group of your family is together watching this all together, or maybe you are on the move today. You might be working today or an essential worker today, or maybe just catching a glimpse of this on your way to something. And I want to just communicate today that we as a church resonate. We love you. We care about you. We love our community. I love you. I love our community. And we want to send a heartfelt I love you to you this morning. We want to hear from you. We want to hear your prayers. Uh, we want to uh, hear your prayer requests. We want to know about your life. So if you desire to connect with us in any way, Go ahead and join our Facebook page like that or join our social media and fill out our contact card on our website, ResonateLife.org, and you can get connected in several ways and we can be praying for you and hearing about what you need prayer for. Every week, we are going to do this broadcast. We do have some changes coming next week that I want to announce, but every week we're going to do this broadcast where if you are at home or choose to stay at home, we want to provide this for you. We, were going, we are going to continue with our children online program, and if you want to get connected with that for our Kids Zone, uh, contact Bethany Stoller, Bethany Flug, sorry Bethany, Bethany Flug directly. Her name is listed on our website, and you can email her for a direct link. Also, our coffee time will continue um, right before the broadcast. So we want to continue this live stream uh, with you, and we want to uh, provide this for you. We do have a change coming up that we want to announce, and that is next week. We will be having live in-person gatherings starting next week in phase one, but the instructions on that, I know that this is kind of funny to announce instructions on coming to church, but there will be instructions on coming to church that will be posted on our Facebook page, emailed to you directly, hopefully, if you have our email, you have your email on file with us that we are allowed up to 25 people total, including the volunteers, here in this building at a time. So we're trying to work within our unified statement that we've agreed to as churches all over the valley and, and really all over Oregon. We've all agreed to a unified statement that we are following the government mandate on how to open and we're going to be unified in a peaceful way of how to do that. So uh, we want to give those instructions to you Look for those. They will be posted. We don't have those finalized. And so, um, so just know that, that uh, we're going to be working on that over, well, tonight and also through the week. And so it'll be later in the week that you are given those instructions. All right. Today, we are continuing our sermon series uh, with Micah. 
And today we're talking about doing justice. It is very fitting, and I think God ordained that today we talk about justice. And as I give this introduction, I want to light our Christ candle. And we light this each and every week to signify that Christ is with us no matter what we feel, think, or maybe even believe at this moment that is God with us, even in the midst of protest and riot and disruption and inequality. And I can't get that lit because it's a brand new candle and this is funny. And so will somebody light the Christ candle for me? <laughs> Thank you. Or grab a new... There's always something. Okay. Let's see if this is lit. It's a brand new candle. Okay. Well, we'll just leave that for now. We're going to pretend like that is lit. If somebody can light that for me and get that started, that would be great. Um, we have lived a sheltered life in many ways. Um, some of you have been just out and about, but ultimately we have lived a sheltered life and we are moving towards being a reopened life in phase one. So that's a change, a dramatic change from the last 60 days of, of life. And so we are emerging out. So I want to give some course corrections uh, on how to behave, how, what to do, how to think kingdom wise. Uh, Jesus is our filter, the love of Christ and, and, and the love of people is our filter as we emerge out. And so all that we are, we are promoting and what we will do as we give instructions even on coming back to church is the filter will be love, loving people. And how do we love people in these spaces? So ultimately, today's message is on love as well, that love doing, justly, doing justice is a form of love. It is sometimes the ultimate form of love that we can look at someone that is being treated unjustly and help right the wrongs that are happening in their life. This week has been a very, very difficult week in our country, in our nation. And we continue to battle this heartbreaking issue of racism from coast to coast, uh, north to south in our, in our country. And my heart breaks for what has happened um, to a person, a child of God, um, was killed this week, and that was uh, viral for everyone to watch. And so my heart breaks for uh, George Floyd's uh, family and for the people, his friends, and the people that are around him that cared for him and cared about his, his life in a personal way. My heart breaks for all of those that are around them. Having children of color gives me a perspective, but also I've gone through some training and some instruction over the years I'm just trying to be a better parent um, and trying to raise children of color and what that means for my life and what that means for my, for my girls, especially most important. And when I see something like this that happens, it just breaks my heart that people treat others in such an unequal way. And so I'm going to address it this morning in a certain way. 
and I want to give a, a statement of what basically it'll just come from me, what I believe about what has happened, uh, what has gripped our nation over the last months just with COVID-19 is, is tiring. It's been tiring. People are in a lot of pain. And this seems like one another thing stacked up on top of another thing. It seems that way. But I want to be clear that, yes, the last 60 days because of COVID-19, and I heard somebody say, this is just one more thing. It's actually not one more thing. This has been going on continually since the first feet stepped on the soil of this nation. And I would have to say that this has been a continual uh, theme and a continual heartbreak in our history. It's not just stacked up on top of a, a virus pandemic. It, it adds to and exasperates um, a lot of emotion, but uh, it shows something very, very important, is there is a lot of pain and the violence that we see now and the, the rise and the protests that we see now shows that our nation is in a lot of pain and shows that the African-American community is in a lot of pain. And that pain is not just a year old. That pain is not five or ten years old. That, that pain is lifetime after lifetime after lifetime old. This is a long-going pain. It's generational. And I would say that, that this time, yes, COVID-19 has made us reevaluate maybe a lot of material things. COVID-19 has made us reevaluate a lot of what we do and how we do it and maybe the safety and the health of other people. But this, this event and this murder definitely taps into our ethics and our character and our values and our morals as a nation. And I think that as people, we you know, have been reevaluating because of a virus. We've been reevaluating things. But I think that maybe it's time to reevaluate everything. And I think that it's time to reevaluate who we are as people, as a nation, who we are to the world. I think it's time to reevaluate how we treat our neighbors, um, just when it comes to how we speak about others um, and how we treat other people in general and what we believe about, about others. So we feel, and here's, here's a statement for us, we and I feel a, a weight of lament and grief and heartache and sorrow as we mourn this week for the killing of a person by the name of George Floyd. That is his name. He was a person, and he was killed. And I am in mourning over that, and we as a nation, uh, we feel a lot of anger. There's a lot of confusion. If you watch the news cycles, you will see a lot of confusion. But yet that there is also a lot of fear that takes hold during these moments in our history. George Floyd was beloved by God. He was made in God's image, 
and he's infinitely valued as a person. And we witnessed, and if you watched the video, you personally witnessed an utter disregard for his infinite value and his created by his creator, his humanity. So it is right and it is good that we would stop, we would think, we would reflect, and we would hold space to honor him as an individual. This is a tragic injustice. We are seeing historic unrest that has gripped even our metro community. And we have watched evils in our society speak out, say things, and do things. And the evils in society are at work. So as God's people, we cannot ignore or be silent about such a wrongdoing. We have a responsibility to offer peace. We have a responsibility to offer hope that is only found in Jesus Christ. And we can offer that hope to people who hurt and people who are confused and people that are in fear. So I want to take a moment of silence to honor George Floyd. Maybe you can offer a prayer for the family, but I just want to take a moment to spend in silence to honor a person's life. Father, we come before you and we humble ourselves and ask for your peace. We ask for your justice. We ask for your love and your mercy. Lord, we come before you and we are many times lost for answers in situations like we face So, Lord, you have divine providence. You can right wrongs and reconcile even the most distant of fractions. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would heal our nation, that you would heal your people, Lord, and that your love would be shown and experienced to those that are hurting deeply today. So Lord, I pray for, especially the African-American community, Lord, across our nation, that have lots of mourning and fear and pain. I just pray for your love to, to, as your spirit came down and filled your people. Lord, I pray that your spirit would fill your people. And that your love would be, be shown and experienced, Lord, in intense, amazing ways. 
in the African-American community. So, Lord, we love you. We just ask for your intervention. In Jesus' name, amen. I would say as I'm just up here talking that a moment of silence and a moment of prayer is not enough. The idea of thoughts and prayers are with you is nice, it's gentle, um, but I would have to say that in kingdom work, it's weak sauce. Can I say that just saying thoughts and prayers is a weak platitude? And so even a moment of silence and a prayer for George and his family is not enough. And I want to encourage us as individuals to get involved in the opportunities that we um, can seek out for change, to encourage, to correct, and to reconcile the injustices of racism that riddle our community. They are within our local schools. They are in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, and in our homes. And we cannot be silent about it. We cannot avoid it. And the Bible tells us that we need to seek out um, injustices, as we're going to learn today, and to seek out and help right the wrongs. And so today I believe that it's God's design that I would be talking about justice. This is not by accident that God, a long time ago, saw me sitting in this chair in front of a camera and knew the situation and probably said, Kevin, talk on justice. And so today we're going to just take this moment to learn something about how to do justice. In a world that's divided with a racial divide that is not going away, we need to learn how to do justice. And I'm going to give you a history of my racism, and I'm going to be very vulnerable with you. I was raised uh, predominantly through you know, a larger family, my grandparents and, and such. And in all the honor of my grandparents, and I love them, and they're dead now, I, I love them deeply. I would say that the language that they used and how they spoke about people and treated other people of color was racist. I was raised around name-calling. I was raised around screaming and yelling at TVs, um, calling people certain derogatory names about their race. That's how I grew up. In college, I got involved in very earth-type, earthy, biological-type um, groups, Earth First and some other groups, Greenpeace and such, that I got environmentally aware and in those people groups, there was a lot of talk about inequalities and justice for those that are of color. And so that was basically my first introduction to this idea and this thought that racism goes beyond <clears throat> just name-calling at a TV and calling somebody um, names behind their back or saying a joke. That is racism, yet 
there's more to it than that. And I learned and I, I kind of grew up in my attitude and my thoughts of what racism was and how it plays out in life through these different people groups in my bi- biology uh, background. And so, so I learned some things. I traveled the world when I was in my 20s, and I saw a lot of racism in other countries that I wasn't aware that occurred. I thought that that had all gone away. In my American mind, I thought that slavery was gone for some reason. I didn't have an awareness of worldwide child slavery or worldwide people slavery in general. And so I was introduced to trafficking. I was introduced to buying and selling of people. I was shocked at how people treated another person based on their race or their religion or who they were just of, of people or the shade color of their skin. It was shocking to me. So when I got home from traveling the world for several months, I got home and I realized that I had some issues. I had some racism going on in, in my life of how I thought of, of other people in different races. And so I grew through that to the point that as a person, I came to the conclusion, probably in some time in my 30s, that I thought, I am not racist. And I, I do not engage in this kind of talk. I do not engage in this kind of, of behavior. And in my journey, I didn't quite realize uh, that I am a white male And that, being a white male, what I didn't realize, I realized I was a white male, but I I didn't realize what being a white male could get me in our society. I didn't understand my white privilege. So when the term white privilege started to come about um, back in the day, I didn't know what to do with it. I, I don't have white privilege. I come from a disrupted background. I have worked for everything that I own and have. I've had a job since I was a kid. I've worked hard, pulled myself up by my bootstraps, and I am, you know, I've worked for everything that I own. And I do things on my own. And I'm, I don't say racial things, and so I am not white privileged. I didn't understand the idea of, of white privilege and what that actually meant. So when we decided to adopt my beautiful daughter, Nataya, I went through that process and I started hearing comments from the people that I love and the people around me about my brown baby. And I was shocked that I am a white male married to a white female and it's abnormal to have a brown baby. And I did not quite understand why people had that view of me, that white couples are supposed to have white children, Kevin. Don't you know that? And these comments did not necessarily come from distant friends and distant relatives. These came from the people that I ministered with in church. And I was shocked that I wanted to adopt a child, but I almost felt like I couldn't 
and didn't have the authority or didn't have the, the blessing to do it because of what was spoken about it. So my one family member that will remain nameless um, had some very derogatory things to say about me and, and my, my uh, plight to adopt a child. So that kind of solidified that I wasn't racist. I am not racist. And I held my two feet on that foundation. I'm not going to be that way, right? So years pass, and the idea and thought of who is now Pal, Kamita, my second daughter, literally a decade later, we decide to adopt another child. And in the adoption process, they made us go through racial sensitivity training. I don't know if any of you have been through racial sensitivity training, but it is an eye-opening experience. When you basically walk through a thousand questions about your preferences and your privileges and what you think is important and not important in life and what you think and how somebody should be treated and not treated and what's just and what's unjust. It was an eye-opening experience that I got in a car and Amanda and I just probably cried. We just didn't even know what to do with how we had missed all of this information and missed the boat when it came to our microaggressions or whether or not we were holding off microaggressions from other people. And so, yes, I experienced microaggressions um, with my daughters. I, I see it in front of me. I don't experience it. It's not towards me. It's, it's actually, I witness it. And now I have the opportunity to do just in the, in the unjust. So my eyes were opened bright and wide when it came to my own racism. So I entered into this season where I was going to learn and grow and submit and listen to people that could teach authoritatively me about how to grow through my shortcomings. And so I went to Race Talks, which was a downtown Portland group that, that had these talks where people of color would then have a talk and then we would sit at round tables and we would discuss um, the topic at, at hand. And again, my eyes then were, you know, wide at that moment. And then when I went through race talks, uh, my mind was blown. Why my mind was blown about the statistics. My mind was blown about how people treat other people. My mind was just completely blown. I just could not believe that our nation was this ripped apart still in racial division. I had the attitude, probably like many people do, that, that slavery went away in the 1800s. And in the 1960s, segregation and racism came to an end, right? And there I'm sitting in race talks with my mind blown going, there, there is very little, if not any, progress made with this subject and this 
evil in our society of division. And so that's my journey of racism, where I sit here today as a white, privileged male, and I look into the world, into our nation, and say, we are dealing with racism. And I have mined and mined and dug into my heart and attempted with everything that I have and asked God to take the rest to dig out anything that could possibly be derogatory, could possibly be hurtful, could possibly show division, because God's kingdom shows love and unity and equality. And so I think that that's just a good introduction to be vulnerable with you, to talk to you just openly, and hopefully in my story there, you would be able to start your own journey to mine out where you're finding yourself preferential or racist. And I think that we are a racist nation because people are not doing the hard work, as Brene Brown would say, the hard work to dig out the things that are wrong in our lives to replace them with what is, what is right. So the Bible says this, to act justly and to love mercy <clears throat> and to walk humbly with your God. When we think of a person as more important or less important based on what they can contribute to society, what they do for society, maybe for a living, what they sound like, based on their appearance, based on their intellectual level, whether they have a certain level of education or not, when we treat a person more important or less important based on these things, we are treating others unjustly. That is a basic definition of unjust treatment. So when a homeless person walks up to you and they have bad breath and they smell and a person is right next to them that doesn't have bad breath and smells and doesn't smell and is maybe this other person is wearing just tattered clothes and the other person is wearing a suit, what do you think? I mean, come on, be honest. We can't just be not honest with that. Who are we going to treat more fairly? Who are we going to pay more attention to? Who are we going to gravitate towards? When we treat somebody based on what they look like, smell like, or the color of their skin, and we gravitate towards, towards the person that is more accepted, that is unjust treatment. Now, this might be hitting you a little bit wrong, Maybe, maybe you're, you're sitting there going, well, Kevin, I'm not racist. I don't call that person a name. I'm not doing something to them. Yet I had to learn that same journey that a person's worth is eternally settled with one thing and is made equal. Those two people in front of me are equal persons. And they are to be treated with equality. Because their equality was settled with one thing. And that is this. 
God saw both of those people standing in front of me and including me, and those people have enough worth to die for. That's what God did. Jesus on the cross shows us that these people in front of me, the person with tattered clothes and the person with a suit, they have unsurmountable worth according to Jesus because Jesus paid an unsurmountable price for the people in front of me in that example. And so whether we are dealing with and interacting with and doing work with and living life with whoever they are, if we are not treating people with insurmountable equal worth, we are not providing and doing justice to others. So our fundamental job as Christians is that if we agree that we are to love one another, we are to agree that everyone has this amount of worth. If, if the Bible says you're to love God and as you love God, this means that you will love people as the greatest command says, that what is the greatest command, Jesus, that we will love God and Kai, that word Kai ties the two together, love God and the same love people. So as we love people, we're loving God. And as we love God, we're loving people. In this camp of loving people, and if we're loving God through and loving people, that justice of treating people with insurmountable worth, just a, an eternal worth, that is our job as, as Christian people. People are God's children. They're created in God's image and have infinite value. That is kingdom justice. In the world, there's a different kind of justice. And in the world, there's a sense of justice that God actually says is wrong. And we see parables, and we've talked about parables um, in the last several weeks. But according to the world, when you do good, you get good. When you do good things, you get good reward. When you do good at work, you get a good paycheck, right? So good is rewarded with good. When you do bad, you get consequences to those behaviors. When you do bad, you get bad. When you do bad at work, you get a bad paycheck. Illustration. But yet in the world, this is subjective. What is good and what is bad? Because we all have these preferences and these issues in our life that we gravitate towards. And so if we think that a certain race is good and a certain race is bad, we will gravitate towards and reward the race that we think is good and not reward and hold back the race that we think is bad. This is the world's justice. This is what the world has called justice. And so when you don't make a certain amount of money, you, you are thought of as a certain level. Or if you have a certain education, you're thought of as a certain level. So your status in life and what you're able to, to achieve compounds this, the world's justice. And so if you're highly educated, you make lots of money and you have a beautiful house and you have you know, the perfect family and you, you have a smile on your face and you post this all on Instagram for everyone to see, that is good. 
yet if you don't have access to Instagram because you can't afford the internet, that is bad. Do you see the difference? Yet what is really awful in this when it comes to the idea of privilege in these two examples that I just used, right, is inequality and where white privilege comes into play is you have a white person and a person of color. And maybe they've done, they've worked just as hard as I have. They've done all the things that I have, yet they end up in a different place because of their race. They end up making less money. They end up with a different job. They end up not being able to do and have opportunities and experiences that I have had basically based on the color of our skin. Well, in kingdom, that's unjust. But in the world, the more opportunity and success you're perceived to have, that is just. That is just. You do good, you get good. But if you're perceived bad and you don't have, you're considered bad. And so in the kingdom, since people have insurmountable worth, they need to be treated as such to have insurmountable worth. They need to be treated with that kind of worth and the judgment being left to God. So every person deserves to be treated with, regardless of their intellectual level, regardless of their education level, regardless of how they appear, the color of their skin, what they can accomplish or can't accomplish, whether you approve of their lifestyle or not approve of their lifestyle, whether they are gay, whether they are straight, whether they are white or black, whatever the issue that is rumbling around in our heads that we agree with or not agree with in our life, Everybody in the eyes of God are equal with unsurmountable worth, eternal worth, and children of God. Period. Is that an amen to my two people in the crowd? Amen. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> we are to treat people as such because Jesus died for such. And it's our job to agree with that truth. That whether that person looks a certain way and acts a certain way, they have worth, eternal worth that Jesus was willing to die for. So this idea of doing justly, doing justice, is next level stuff. Because most of the time, I think that to do justice means that I just avoid unjust behaviors myself. And that's the camp that I was in over here, right? I don't speak bad about people. I don't deem people and say derogatory jokes and mean names and, and all this stuff. I'm not like them. So, so my justice is based on society. And, and as long as I'm not doing unjust things, therefore I'm just. I'm doing justice. Well, if you look at kingdom justice based on Micah 6.8, you'll see this word in Hebrew called asah. And asah means to make justice. I would say that it's not mistranslated. To do justice means to make justice. 
And so to do and to make is kind of a, a double meaning that we do just things, but we also make justice. We create justice. There, there's an aggression in this word that means to seek out unjust things and to make things just in life. We don't just sit there passively and say, well, I'm not doing anything wrong, so therefore I'm not wrong. That's not the Christian plight. That's not the kingdom justice. Kingdom justice, friends, is Micah 6.8, where we make justice. We are the kingdom on earth. And the church is to be the example of equality. There's no Jew, Greek, male, female. There, there's, there's everybody's equal in the, in the sight of God with a huge eternal worth. And so when we go out into the world, we are to be that example of kingdom. We are the kingdom. We are to be the kingdom and to make this justice. And so when we look at unequal issues and we look at inequalities between males and females and races and, and, and wages and all these things that we're dealing with um, over the last handful of years, we are to enter into those conversations and to make the wrongs right. That is our job. That is kingdom work. Think about what Dr. King, Martin Luther King said here. And thank you, Sharia, for giving me this because this is an incredible, incredible statement. Martin Luther King said, I have almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the black person's great stumbling block in his stride towards freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klanner but the white moderate who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice. I would say that we have lived that. We have lived the negative peace. We have lived in our society where, well, we're not a Ku Klux Klanner and we're not yelling at the TV derogatory names at all the races that come on the screen and we're not screaming and yelling in the streets and we're not trashing people's homes that are people of color. We're not doing crazy things, yet we're not making justice. We are a passive negative bystander of peace. So in our kingdom, uh, the kingdom justice means that we look and find opportunities to make peace. Otherwise, we're just peacekeepers. And peacekeepers, they're just ugh, yucky. Like keeping the peace is like sweeping under the rug. And that's just yucky to me. I just sit there and go, why are we just sweeping things under the rug? Can we just get that pink, huge elephant in the room and talk about it so we can grow up. And I just look at that in my, in my own personal life and with my friends and family, and I go, Bleh. why can't we take it out from under the rug and not just be peacekeepers, but as the Bible teaches, we are peacemakers. That we, have, we live in the awkward we live in the hurt and the pain and we work through the issues and when we come out the other side, we are at peace, we are unified, yet we are changed. Amen. Yet we are changed.
And that is what we're dealing with when it comes to racism, with gay inequality, with transgender inequality and opinions about that, female inequality, equality, inequality of wage. The, the issues that we're dealing with, the church has spoken strongly into these issues and the church's voice has been a, a voice of hate and disruption and division. It has not been a, a voice of peacemaking and unification and growth. And that's where we need to be. We need to be kingdom justice, not worldly justice. Well, if we're not fighting, there's not a problem. If we're not outwardly rioting, there's not a problem. If we're not, if we're not you know, throwing Molotov cocktails at one another, there's not a problem. No, there's a problem whether or not Molotov cocktails are thrown or not. There's a problem. And we need to address the problem. So two things. Pretty passionate about this subject. We as a church, number one, we as a church, when I look at issues that happen in the world and I look at Micah 6a, we as a church need to be very careful about labeling things Christian just because we think something is just or non-Christian and we deem it unjust because it's perceived unjust. We need to be very careful about how we do that. We are to treat people with insurmountable value, and if that is not happening, it's unjust. It's unjust. If we're just out name-calling, and we're just out saying, oh, those people, and we're other, that's unjust. That's unjust behavior with political issues, with race issues, with gender issues. If we those people anyone, that is unjust behavior. We need to be very careful about what we deem as just and unjust. And we are two-by-two ministry. We need accountability with that. We need a plurality of leadership to speak into that. And that leadership needs to include the people and the races and the genders that we're talking about. That's not just, hey, we're going to go out and have some opinion about something because we're the church and we're allowed that. That's, that's not the way that, that we need to behave. White people have been deaf in our ears. We have been deaf in our ears towards race issues. We are not listening. And we need to sit at the table and listen and hear the pain and work through some of these things. And in, when we come to the conclusion that something is just or unjust. We need to start with ourselves, and this is number two. We need to look at ourselves and, and pull a Gandhi, where we need to be the change in the world that we want to see. We need to change ourselves. How do we do this? We need to dig it out. And this is the hard work. This is the snot-nosed, booger-tear, carpet-gripping moments, Right? where you realize that you've been so wrong and that everyone that spoke in your life and maybe daddy, mommy, grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle, they all spoke certain truths into your life and all of a sudden you realize that, that you have generational issues in your life of inequality. Maybe that needs to be a snot-nosed booger-tier moment on your carpet. I don't know. 
But, but we need to dig it out. We need to mine the racial biases in our life, in our own life. Dig out preferences. Dig out opinions. Bring things to the surface of how we categorize people and people of color. We need to take a hard look at how we were raised and how God has told us to be. How we are raised and how God told us to be usually, 100% usually is different. And so how God told us to be is, is equal treating, insurmountable, eternal worth to people, loving people for exactly where they are at and who they are because they are a child of God. And digging through these issues, putting them all that trash out for, for, for us to look at, not all of us, but, but you to look at. And maybe you need help with that. And maybe you need counseling for that. And maybe you need to talk to people about that. And maybe you need to do what I did and go to racial sensitivity training and sit at a table of race talks and listen to the pain and realize, wow, I have missed the boat. And when you dig that out, we need to repent of it. 100% change the direction of our attitude and our mind and be renewed of our mind like the Bible says. We need that in our life and we need to take a hard look. And then... We need to communicate loudly. And I have communicated loudly from this pulpit, female equality. All gender is equal in the eyes of God. All races are equal in the eyes of God. All people are equal in the eyes of God. Every person on this planet, whatever they're doing, whether you agree with it or not, are children of God and have insurmountable worth because Jesus died in an insurmountable way and showed us that kind of grace, love, and justice. And so maybe you're looking at somebody that's sitting in a wheelchair. Maybe you're looking at a person of color. Maybe you're looking at a female, or a male, or transgender, or somebody that's gay, or somebody that's LBGTQ, whatever, whoever, if we are not showing worth and value to people, we are not in kingdom justice. Saying you are colorblind is wrong and adds to the problem. Saying that we live in a white community, Sherwood, and we don't have these issues is a lie. They are everywhere. I see them everywhere. I was shut down two years ago just trying to have a conversation about race on Facebook in a community forum. Shut down, locked down. I can't, I can't participate, right? Racism issues are occurring around us. Saying that we don't have these issues around us is a lie and adds to the problem. Not believing in white privilege adds to the problem. Denying our racial biases adds to the problem. This is not kingdom justice. Kingdom justice does careful obedience with labeling what's just and unjust. Kingdom justice mines in our hearts and digs out the things that are not of God, that are preferential and racial and, and racist and all these these dark places, mines those out 
And we learn to give people loudly in life huge eternal worth. And when we find ourselves involved in injustice, we fully repent, we turn from the behavior, we reconcile, we work through our peacemaking to get to the other side and we grow so that the pattern will not be repeated generation after generation. This is kingdom justice. Let's take communion. When Jesus sat around the table, (laughs) he sat around the table with some interesting people. He sat around the table and there were people there that he would be deemed unclean for hanging out with. And so, he said, with my body, it's given to you, do this in remembrance of me, you're forgiven, you have grace, now go and love the world and make disciples. And he said, this is my, this is my blood, do this in remembrance of me, go and make disciples. And when we make disciples, we make justice. We make kingdom justice. Let's take communion together. Father, thank you for just a simple verse, Micah 6.8, that is so profound and means so much. Help us, Lord. Help us as a nation. Heal our nation. Lord, heal us, Lord, as people, individuals, Help us to mine out the issues that are, holding, that, are, that are holding our community, Lord, from loving people and having freedom in Christ and learning to treat people with equality. So, Lord, we love you. I pray that your grace would shine and your spirit would just cleanse, Lord, just cleanse these dark places in our hearts. Lord, that your spirit... Lord, would live inside of us, that we would be living, Lord, examples of your justice. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.